The Fujicast is an independent loading zone production. Kev has finally given up. He doesn't want to do photography anymore. He's opening a laundrette. Yeah. Why did Laundrettes, ships. Ships? What? Ship, laundrette ships. Oh, laundrette, laun- uh, yeah. Laundromats. I don't know, but but um, why did, Why have you got um, tumble dryers turning up at your, your gaff? Well, because my studio is actually bigger than my house. Right. <laughs> oh, okay. Have- All right. Okay. What's for you then? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Although it was, it was rather unexpected. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I was actually in the middle of a mentoring call the other day and, uh, John Lewis knocked on the door. Oi, we've got something for you. Um, and it was, a a, a tumble dryer. Did you know, you get- normally when the door knocks and I'm on a mentoring call, I go, oh, sorry, Amazon have just turned up or I've just got a parcel. One second. And these men turned up and they said, right, it's down the bottom of the hill. You'll have to come and help us with, uh, we've got a trolley. I was like, what? what? What's going on? So you had so, to help them as well? Yeah, well, because you know what it's like around here. They can't park anywhere near the place. Right. So we got the tumble dryer turned up. It's sat there now, yeah. So the uh, the grand idea is that every morning on my way to work, I'll be bringing black bags full of wet, sopping, washing, <laughs> and then taking home dry oh, washing. <laughs> Gemma, you are, you're inspired, aren't you, Gemma? You, you know you are, because yeah. you... Yeah, guess you, whose idea it was. Yeah, you knew that that would get Kev involved in the tumble... Oh, inspired, Gemma. It was actually wasn't Gemma's idea, in fairness to her, although I think the egg might have been seeded or whatever they say it is it's probably not that <laughs> by her but um it was Gemma's mum so Gemma's mum came to the studio a few weeks ago took yeah. one look around and said hmm nice treadmill hmm, nice 65 <laughs> inch tv hmm, nice big desk yeah you Ooh, need you've to, got yeah. two toilets yeah hmm, you haven't got a tumble dryer at home though have you yeah there we go uh <laughs> they clocked yeah. you they did the Fuji cast oh dear well, I, I, initially, maybe you, you got all excited thinking it was, uh, well, look at that size of that box. What What's that? Is that a camera? Yeah. What F- oh, you love a big box, don't you? Yeah. What, what, what F-stop is that on the, that tumble dryer? Right, welcome to the, the show as always. You and your questions uh, answered from, uh, well, two ways. One from the uh, the uh, the email, which you've been sending into click at fujicast.co.uk. And uh, also those messages that you leave on the private Facebook group, um, the Fujicast private Facebook group. We should say, um, we sh- well, uh, before we do that, Kev's Book of the Week. What have we got, Kev? Book of the Week, Book of the Week. Uh, this week we have uh, the New Street Photographer's Manifesto. Ooh. Any camera, anywhere. Any camera, anywhere. Yeah. That sounds like a... Oh, what was that the advert for? Anytime, anywhere, that's... Martini. Isn't that the old Martini one? Yeah, well done, Grandad. <laughs> oh, thanks very much. You're um, going to be roller skates on now. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, pay, well, we did mention, do you remember was, a couple of weeks ago when we mentioned the um, the old advert for Accrington Stanley? Do you remember that one? Yeah. I went, yeah. well, that uh, was two weeks ago, wasn't it? So, old yeah. adverts. Um, I put the video for that on the uh, on the on the website. Yes, yeah. God, that brought back some memories. People have done some spin-offs of that. Of course, it's a bit UK based that one, so you wouldn't understand that if you lived outside the UK. Um, and also, our guest. Well, we're back for part two, of course, with uh, Alan Hewitt, the wildlife photographer, uh, Fujifilm ambassador, who Kev talked with. Uh, part two today is um, well, it's it's a bit more kit based actually. So we. We find out uh, what you need in your humble kit bag to to photograph the way that uh, that he does all over the world. But we should start with some um, some mentions for our glorious patrons, shouldn't we? We should indeed, yeah. So um, as we often do, every now and again, we'll read out the new people who have supported us on Patreon, of which we've got four, which is 
four very good friendly people. Yeah. Uh, Steve Gray, Kickersee. There's a name, isn't it? Kickersee. Kickersee. Yeah, I'm not sure whether that's a pseudonym or whether that's his real name or her real name or their real name. Kick a C. I like it though. Yeah. Peter Fox and Tim helps. Does he? Tim helps who? Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, oh no, we, we shouldn't. We get in trouble for. Yeah, we do, and that's very that's very Morecambe um, and wise. That isn't it? You can well, just... Tim helps us. Yeah, <laughs> no, he does anyway because he's supporting us on Patreon. He certainly does. Uh, uh, so yeah. thank you very much, and uh, yeah, you, thank you guys you and can girls. Join the the patron and be a things. part of that club. Right, uh, questions. You going first or me? Um, I'll go first. Daniel Kiss, do you believe it's worth upgrading the 23mm lens for the X-T3 and X-Pro3? Will one notice a real difference or is it minute? So he's on about the new 23mm, presumably the difference between the 23mm 1.4 existing and the 23 1.4 new version, which isn't officially called a Mark II. Right. So mustn't call it a Mark II. Some of it's to do with nippy. Um, I remember talking to Andreas about this, and this sort of the the the, the nippy focusing of it. Of course, that's different. Yeah, there's a lot different actually. It's it's much quicker to focus. It's got linear motor, slightly bigger too. It's a little bit bigger. Yeah, I think it's it's got more levels of weather sealing. It's got more elements in it. Yeah, it's a remarkable lens. So I haven't actually got that lens. Uh, I'm not sure uh, as we speak whether it's even available in the markets. I think it's on pre-order still. But I did do I did one of the marketing videos for the prototype, yeah. um, and it is it is phenomenal. It's you you know I, I've always loved that twenty three mil focal range. We've talked about that a lot, and I only had that lens for a week. I didn't have uh, and that was to make the video. I didn't I didn't take it to a wedding or anything really. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it just allows you to buzz around much quicker, getting really close, get some nice portraits if you want, come out uh, for a little bit more wider context. And so it is one of the newer ranges of these linear motor lenses, um, of which I bought the 18 mil when that because that became available. So I will have a dilemma whether I invest in that 23 mil as well as the 18, because I definitely don't want to get rid of that new 18 mil lens because I love it. But will the 23 mil uh, replace it? Will it? Will it? You know? Will it? Will it make me want to go back to the 23 mil range focal length? I don't know. I definitely can't have both of them, so I, I need to need to have a, a stern talk with myself. Mind you, won't it just go into that big cupboard that you've got all the other kit in? Yeah, not those lenses won't, but yeah, some of them will. Mm. I've got. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna package up a whole load of stuff and send it over to MPB. Are you? It will then then send it back and say it's scratched. <laughs> yeah, they'll say. This didn't. It's, it has obviously not been in a bag with dividers. Yeah, Where I've got are, quite a lot of stuff. I'm going to say I got my XT3s are going to go. Have you got the boxes? We got the boxes for them, Kev. No, no boxes. Oh, Kev. No eye cups. <laughs> no straps. Do you keep the uh, little CDs that come with boxes and stuff, and the, all the leads? I had something delivered the other day um, that came with. <laughs> CDs. Yeah, you know, they used. There was this period of time where they send you the drivers on a teeny weeny CD yeah. that was like the size of a polo. And you know, like a, a DVD drives yeah. used to be able to support these mini yes, DVDs. Yes, of course they did, didn't they? Um, <laughs> and then some of them they didn't, and they would just fall through the middle. But I haven't got, I haven't got a CD, a DVD player anywhere. No, at all. Have I. no, I haven't. You know, it's just a waste. I had a call from a from a bride only a couple of weeks ago saying uh, we can't look at our photos, and I thought, has it corrupted? Said, no, no, we just don't have a DVD player. Yeah, none of none of us in the family have a DVD player. Actually, I do have one on Albie's Albie's Xbox is here in the studio, and there is one on there. But ah. yeah, I wouldn't. I don't class that. So okay, have you got an Xbox in the studio as well? Yeah. So your running machine, Xbox, massive, yeah. great big screen for watching Netflix and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Tumble you, dryer. The tumble. Uh, well, the tumble dryer. Yes, of course. Now, 
Do you do any yeah. work there? Is there is anything that gets done at Marlins Towers? Oh, a lot gets done. Um, the only thing I need now is a shower and a little bed. Don't go giving Gemma ideas on that one. <laughs> or indeed, mother-in-law. Yeah. <laughs> Margie Benson. Hello, Kevin. Hello, Neil. I recently discovered the Fujicast um, and also PD. Thank you, Margie. Um, big fan. Technical info and moving stories have helped my uh, fuel, fuel my desire rather to pick up a camera again. I plan to purchase my first serious digital camera soon, and after wading through a lot of videos and blogs created by a variety of people, some who seem a bit more knowledgeable and professional and have a, a, a le less bias than others, I am leaning towards the Fuji investment. Spending two or $3,000 is a big deal, though, and I'm really hoping to make a good decision. I'm wondering if uh, you both might chat about why Fuji is the right fit for you. What do you love about it? What impresses you, perhaps? I'd love to hear anything you have to share. I think we did have a similar question to this, but it wasn't from Margie. Uh, Margie in Are Utah, you sure? In I Utah think it was State. the same question. Really? Margie Benson? I don't think I th so. Really? I think it was, it was exactly the same question, though. Was it? I don't remember that one, Kev. <laughs> That's over 48 <laughs> maybe hours Maybe Margie ago. Benson's got two different names. Yeah, uh, yeah maybe Margie Benson has. Well, just in case um, we didn't do it. <laughs> it's a better way of getting, more chance of getting answered if you said the same question yeah, three times. If you said it three times. Yeah, now you know how forgetful we are. A bit like the books, Kev, like we were talking about. We should uh, we should keep a spreadsheet. Oh, God, yeah, can you imagine? Absolutely, imagine we should. That? You're quite yeah. right. Um, well, I think the way that we answered that question previously was, you know, we I think we encouraged um, the other person to you know get your hands on them go to a camera store that's right. rent yeah, you yeah. know and uh, i think most of them will allow you to you know leave a small deposit or leave a passport or something yeah. and, and wander off the but shop Mar margie did ask though why fuji is the right fit for you though what do you love about it so that might be slightly different to that original question yeah well i mean f for me it's it was always about form factor and portability and all that kind of stuff i like the the manual um functional controls um that kind of stuff is what drew me to the yeah. to the cameras really um i have a nervous i'm looking nervously over my shoulder at the the, the trend to go back towards pasm dials on cameras um i don't like that but the yeah i mean you know it's it really is horses for courses yeah. i didn't dislike my canon cameras no. it's just something else came along that was more suitable for me you know and You've got to find something if you, especially if you're if you're not a professional photographer. You've got to find something that you really enjoy using. Yeah. Um, you know, if you don't enjoy picking up a big deal, I mean, DSLRs are, are gone now, aren't they? Let's face it, or pretty much for mm. um, consumer level stuff. Most people are going to be buying mirrorless cameras, yeah, well, you know, so, yeah. regardless of flavour. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you have to enjoy using it. You know, if you know, some people don't like using Sony. Some people don't like using Fujifilm. Some people don't like using Panasonics. Some people love using Leica and love using Fujifilm and, and you know. And, and all that stuff so you know you have to have that you have to have something that when you look at it you think yeah i want to grab that and i want to take it out with me today so there we go margie we've answered it twice probably <laughs> shall i put that let me put that in the we've answered this twice pile which is just over there go on then i've got a question from marcus cohen that i think we might we might have answered as well have i got the right file here today i don't not quite sure uh, okay, so this one's from Leslie Burdett on the uh, Facebook group. And this was also just after the 200th uh, episode. She says, happy 200th. And then she says, one of you doesn't look old enough. Well, Who do you think she's referring to? Clearly you. Or you. Yeah, yeah, you. Yeah. No, I know it's you. I definitely feel old enough. I've, um, I've, got, my, your, I've got your number. I know what you're saying. 
Thank you very <laughs> My much. My question is date-related yeah. and a practical one. I believe the average age of a computer is approximately seven years. What's the date of your oldest image file you have instant access to, excluding negatives, and describe it to us? <laughs> now, I can do this. I can do this. So I'm going to have to turn the machine on, so it's going to whir a bit in the background. Um, oh, I've moved. I've I've re. I spent all last week redoing all my drives, right. so I need to now remember where this is. Ah. Right here we go. So uh, we're looking for the oldest file, yeah. Oldest one that's I'll, in your system. I have to call up my spreadsheet as well because I'll cross-reference it. I will. Well, you can put every picture you take into a spreadsheet as well. Absolutely, every picture, Kev. <laughs> Uh, what? <laughs> no, I'm just talking about it's clients, Kev. Oh, no. Well, mine won't be clients. Mine will be personal picture. Ah. Mine will be. I don't think she's referring to, oh, to that. I do have access to that as well, sorry. but no, oh, I'm going to go. Mind you, that's going to go right back to when we were really, really young, Kev. Well, only the ones you've got digitalized. That's what she's saying. So... Um, I am going to got my Lightroom catalogue up now. My old Lightroom catalogue personal pictures prior to 2001, this catalogue is called. Right. Oh, look at this. I'm looking through the metadata there. Right. And then PowerShot 8560. <laughs> but uh, film counts as well. You've digitised yeah, it. Yeah, if yeah. you've digitised it. Yeah, absolutely. But you'll need to know the date. So unless you put the date in the um, file name, that's going to be hard. But I'm I'm looking now for the date. Oh, this is going to be, this is going to be hard. What what have you what have you found then, Kev? The first picture I've got on my computer right. is from Friday the first of January, nineteen oh four, and I've got one hundred and thirty three pictures. <laughs> so yeah, I'm guessing that was. Uh, oh, look at that! They they are all um, uh, drone footage from my, um, my from my Mavic Air. So obviously the yeah, exit data got a bit screwed on that. So let's have a look yeah. in real terms. Is mine is really old, 1989 from a mobile phone, and it's a picture of a girl. Which girl? Uh, just a girl, another girl, a different girl. What was her name? An, an, an older girl. Right. One, from, one that I perhaps shouldn't still have the pictures of. <laughs> Who votes uh, that, Kev? You don't know, do you? I mean, I've got, in this catalogue, right. I've got 116,536 pictures. So maybe, um, yeah, yeah. Maybe you win that competition then, because the one I've found here, I know when it, I know when it was, I know it's been digitised, but it doesn't count because I can't see the EXIF data. Yeah, so I think, well, if we're talking about ones we've taken on either cameras or phones or something, then you are going to be probably hitting the kind of late 80s, early 90s, maybe yeah. if you're lucky, yeah. mid 90s, probably, um, that kind of stuff. Good Lord, I've got some awful, terrible things in here. Have you? I never even looked at before. I've got a whole folder in yeah. my Lightroom catalogue called... Don't to sort. To sort, yeah. Well, now you're to finding sort. out why you need to. I, I'd sort that quickly before somebody else sorts it, if you know what I mean. There's 46,000 pictures in there. That's going to take a while to sort then, in that case. Right, while you start sorting that, then I'll read another question out. Mark, do you remember Mar Marcus Cohen, who, uh, who uh, just to sort of just um, nudge your memory here, um, he of the... Um, he of the wife who was not keen on him being or shooting bridal prep. Yes. She didn't want him in a room with naked ladies. Do you remember? Yes. Yeah? I was, yes. I'm still always confused as to why people seem to think that bridal prep is like that. I mean, it, no, it it's not. It's not. Yeah. I've certainly not. I mean, yeah, yes, there's been certain states of undress, but in some respects, it's never felt any different to being backstage at some sort of 
uh, fashion show or, or, or you know, or, or amateur dramatics or a stage show or something where people are right, quick, put the clothes, quick, get on, here we go. Um, bridal prep doesn't doesn't really seem. I mean, I always propose that I leave the room for a little bit uh, for some dignity, really, when the dress goes on. But call, oh God, I always but, but yeah, call, call I me back in a moment. I would just go, yeah, if if there's any kind of that stuff going on. Yeah, yeah, and, 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 and then just call me back when people are half decent, and we can carry on yeah. photographing. But anyway, I thought I'd remind you that Marcus Cohen uh, has got a new question though. It's a QQ now. It's updated, you see. Hey chaps, but this is a QQ for the big KM. Um, mm-hmm. How are you finding the Ibis and the XT4? Was it worth the investment? And when are you using it most? And with what lens? Cheers, MC. Uh, yes, it is worth the investment for me, at least. Um, and I'm using it for mostly everything at weddings. I have to say, just as we said last week, I think that 95% of the, the particular wedding I was editing then was shot on the 18mm, um, with, which means it's on the X-T4 with the IBIS. Yeah. So, and I am noticing now the, the 18mm and the, the new 23 and the new 33, those linear motor ones are, um, are designed to render against larger sensors. So read from that as you may wish. Um, but it means they're sharper. They're really sharp. And that, that could well be a side, um, a symptom of, or consequence, I should say, of the IBIS as well, because, uh, you know, it's allowing me to shoot. I'm, I'm normally shooting a minimum shutter, shutter speed of one one twenty five. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I'm a bit older now and, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, just maybe my hands aren't, aren't quite as stable as they once were, you know, breathing's a bit heavier, all of that kind of stuff, you know? And, and so Ibis is definitely, I never ever was never interested in the X-T4. I didn't think, no, uh, that's, that's not something I need because it's exactly the same as the X-T3, but it has Ibis. And, uh, and then I, I rented the X-T4 to do some filming. And then I actually, I realized that there is, there is quite a lot of, uh, uh, power in that ibis system that i was using yeah. and if i'm you know I'm, I'm a big proponent of if things are useful then that's when i'm going to get it so uh yeah xt3 is is in the list of things to to go to mpb and uh i will probably depends on i need to keep the ears to the ground on the rumors rumor sites for uh, like next generation of x pros and stuff um if they could squeeze a ibis into that um, and I have literally zero idea of whether that's possible or whether it's going to happen, then that would be worth me waiting for. Otherwise, I'm going to get another X-T4. X-Pro, though, would, would be with an IBIS, though, would be your, that would be, yeah. that, that would be your ideal camera, would it? Yeah, absolutely. The, 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 the functionality, the, the ergonomics of the X-Pro camera are, um, uh, you know, are far my favourite. I don't like the X-T range. I don't like the look of them. I don't like the hump. I don't like the, the, you know, I don't particularly like using those cameras. Um, you know, they're not, it's not a challenge to me, but it's, you know, I'm not, I don't feel the same way as when I pick up the X Pro camera. Is it perhaps because they look a bit too similar to the DSLR? I just think it's the ergonomics of it. Yeah. I have to say, you know, I quite like that. Um, I, well, the way I really like shooting with the X Pro camera and the X100 is with both eyes open. So I usually have the cameras away from my head a little bit, maybe an inch or two. And I'm looking through the viewfinder with my right eye and my left eye is generally wide open looking at everything else. Yeah. Can't do that so easily on the XT, um, you know, but yeah, I have to say the Ibis has, has, has been quite remarkable. Revolutionised. So Revolutionised the way you, you feel about it. Right, your yeah, question. Yeah, and if they could squeeze it into the next 100 as well or ibis in the next 70 god there you go well i think now kev you're pushing the boundaries a bit surely <laughs> um facebook question okay so this one's from daniel kiss didn't we have daniel already today no uh, that was a couple of weeks ago 
Really? Yeah, Daniel Kiss. No, it was right at the start of the show, wasn't it, today? Oh, Kev, no. we are now. <laughs> no, it definitely wasn't <laughs> this week. It was walk? a few weeks ago. Because I, I remember pointedly making a, a comment about how I would love to be called Kevin Kiss. Right. And that was that was a few weeks ago. Okay. Um, and anyway, Daniel goes on to say, uh, this is mainly for Neil, mm. um, for video work, talking heads in interviews. Uh, would you go for the 18 to 55 or the newer 16 to 80? Um, or would you suggest the 16 to 55 because of the depth of field and the 2.8 well, aperture I, provides? I only have the 18 to 55. <laughs> Haven't you noticed there's been a pandemic on? So I don't know. I've not used uh, and I've I tend to stick with one lens, Kev, when I've when I found something for talking heads that works really well. And um, that for me is it. So you've got the 18 to 55, did you say? Yep, that's the one. Right. OK. And what aperture is that? Uh, it's the movable aperture, 2.8 to uh, to 4, isn't it? 2.8 to 4. The other lens is the 10 to 24, which is still the one that you gave me years ago, Kev. Um, mm. Still working like a powerhouse dream it is. Yep. So, um, yeah, and I find that brilliant for talking heads. It's, you wouldn't use 10 to 24 for talking no, heads? No, 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 no. Only, only for sort of uh, much wider sort of pull-away angles. Mm. Um, but no, that's the one that I use, and it work and it works per. I've never really, I don't know why I've I've never used primes for talking heads. I know you do, don't you? Have you? you- I do, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I love the when Chris comes to make the Fujifilm videos and he does the interviews and stuff for me. He uses the cine lenses um, oh, on the XT4. Lovely. The, um, uh, you know, they've got T stops. They're manual yeah, focus, but yeah, they. Yeah. The, the the look of those lenses, the the footage out of them is just beautiful. What ones do you know? Which one he's using? Big green one. Big green. <laughs> it's not green, Kev. Yeah, it's it's greenish. It's got green bits on it. <laughs> okay. Ah, <laughs> uh, but yes. Um, well, lucky, blimey. No, I'm yeah. not. I'm not that. They are really nice. I'm not that fortunate. I'm af- I'm afraid. I'm, I'm fortunate enough to have the the the, <laughs> the lens that I've got. But that's what I would use now. I'm very happy with it. Yeah, I mean, I, so that that eighteen to fifty five does is a movable aperture two point yeah, eight to four, which means yeah, you could yeah. get to two point eight for the depth of field. Yeah, yeah. Six, I have the sixteen to fifty five, which is, um, you know, I have used that when I've done the music filming and everything, and I, you know, I do like that two point eight aperture for the bit of depth of field it might yes. give you. But yeah, for yes. for um, talking heads for my YouTube videos and everything, I pretty much use primes because I'm not. I'm moving around. I did use um, um, the fifty to one forty for a while for uh, for talking heads. Um, yeah, that'd be nice. And big it, though. And yes, it was big. And you know, if you're, it's not you know, it's it's, it's not huge. It fits into a bag re- reasonably easily with dividers, Kev. But but um, I found that that was um, a really good lens for talking heads. Lovely depth of field on that, and compression, of course, because you're using that fifty to one forty. And if you if you've got a room large enough. Oh, of course, there's another consideration to be made there, but that was a fantastic talking heads lens. Yeah, it is. I love that lens, actually. I use that for a lot for the yeah. sports. Yeah, definitely for, the, for, for sports. Right. Time to hear from our guest. Um, this week, part two, second part, concluding part of Kev's conversation with uh, Alan Hewitt, the wildlife photographer and Fujifilm ambassador. And this week we get a little bit more uh, in-depth with um, what uh, Alan shoots with as well, which I... We don't always do. We don't necessarily make a, a big deal of that in our interviews. But uh, today, for um, for good reason, I, I think we should. Here's Alan Hewitt. For those who have not 
um, and those people who have not met you, you're, you know, you're, you're reasonably tall, you know, you're, you're quite a, quite a character in life. And I have this vision, <laughs> I have this vision of you, um, sitting in these, uh, in these green hides, you know, just kind of contemplating, uh, yeah. waiting and waiting and waiting. And you sound like quite a peaceful person, I have to say, um, right. you know, and I think it's, I don't know whether that's, uh, your personality drives your photography or the photography has had an impact on your personality. I don't know, but, uh, you know, <laughs> I'm mellowing out with age. Yeah, maybe, um, that, that let's just say you sit in a hide for eight hours and you don't get a picture. Is that eight hours in the hide wasted or is it a um, nice time to have by yourself? A bit of both. It depends what I want to do. Uh, there's times I've gone out, you know, I've really needed to photograph something quite specific and I've sat for hours and hours on end and, you know, it just hasn't happened for me. Um, a few years ago, I did sit in a, a natural hide in a natural kingfisher environment uh, to try and photograph a kingfisher for a magazine article that I was doing. And I actually sat there for four days, about eight hours a day before it actually turned up. Um, but I really enjoyed being there because there was other things going on. Uh, okay, it wasn't the target species. It wasn't the species that I needed. But there was other things happening. There's other things to watch. And, you know, as well as being a photographer, I am a sort of a, a natural history enthusiast. So when I haven't got the photographer, the, the camera to my eye, actually taking photographs, I'm just sitting there listening, taking it all in, watching the behaviour of other animals, Um and, you know, I enjoy that. I enjoy the peace and quiet. I enjoy the sounds that's going on around me. And sometimes it's just nice to get out and just chill in outdoors and, and enjoy it. It doesn't matter with hail, rain, shine, snow, whatever, you know, we deal with it. And a lot of the time I just like being out in the, in, in the outdoors. Yeah, it sounds very cathartic. It's like, it, is, it yeah. appeals to me, I must admit. Switch the phone off, no activity, just sit in there. Um, but I, I probably wouldn't have the patience or the concentration to be constantly looking for for the for the birds. I'm looking at one right now on your. I think it's on the um, the bee eaters section, um, and there's this phenomenal picture of um, a, a bee eater, and and it's it just looks like an angel. It's almost vertical. The wings are right up. Um, it's a stunning picture, absolutely stunning. How do you? Like, talk me through the the um, the technology. How do you? I mean, this bird is in flight. It's presumably um, moving relatively quickly. You know, how do you how do you get something like that? How do you? Well, just how do you do it, Alan? <laughs> right. I think I'm looking at the same photograph as as you are now, and that was photographed by the River Danube in Bulgaria. And what I was I was in a hide that was sort of elevated about. Uh, 16, 18 foot up on stilts, and it was near a cliff that was full of, uh, of hundreds and hundreds of these European beet as a, a sort of breeding colony. And what I noticed was happening quite a bit was that there were beaters were actually flying under the hide and beneath me, and then flying onto a sort of perch that was slightly ahead of me. And to be able to do that with the autofocus of any camera for these. I mean, these birds are the sort of size of not much bigger than a sort of um, a, a small typical UK bird, you know, like a small blackbird or something like that, probably even a little bit smaller. 
So to be able to, for, to rely on your camera to be able to pick that bird up so quickly is, is very, very difficult. So what I would do in a case like that, I would perhaps auto-focus on the, well, I would focus on the perch, first of all, and that would give me the rough sort of um, distance between myself and where I wanted to photograph the bird. Mm. And then I would go from, I would lock the focus in, so I would turn to manual, so then when I activated the shutter, it didn't try to, to mm. refocus on anything. And then I would basically look around my surroundings all of the time, and when these birds were flying underneath, there's a good chance that they are a perching bird that a fair few of them will try and perch on this stick. And because the autofocus system had already locked the focus in place, I was just waiting for the birds to fly through. Perhaps I would go up to something like F8, F11, give me a little bit more depth of field to forgive any sort of focusing errors. And then as the bird passes, just give it a little bit of a high burst rating. Mm. The XH1, I think it's 11 frames a second. The XT4 goes up to 15 frames a second now. So in, in many ways, it's a little bit of hit and hope, but that's basically how you do it. You, you sort of use like a trap focus. I think it's trap focus is something that a lot of um, sports photographers would use many years ago. They would set up the focus at the finishing line rather than actually tracking a sort of 100-meter sprinter coming towards them. And then when that sprinter got to that finishing line, they would sort of try a quick burst of shots and then hope that eventually with the law of averages, there's going to be a couple of them will actually be in focus. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of like a pre-focusing technique. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. Uh-huh. So you mentioned the XH1, uh, XT4. Are they the cameras that you're using right now? I'm. I love the XT4. I think it's an absolutely fantastic camera. When that came out, and we did the, um, well, I had one for for quite a few weeks at the beginning of 2020, and I don't actually use it um, as much as I love the tech and the feel about the, the ability of the autofocus system, the 15 frames a second, everything about this camera is fantastic. But what I really, really like is the ergonomics of the X-H1 still. I think that extra sort of bulkier hand grip works very, very well, especially with the battery pack attached to it. And when you're hand holding a lens, 100 to 400 lens, you know, for, for quite some time, I think it gives you a little bit more balance so my preference is to actually use the XH1, although the XT4 is a much, much better technically um, ability-wise camera. Mm. And what kind of lenses are you typically using? My workhorse is the 100-400, and I've, I think it's a, a great lens. And when I originally moved to the Fujifilm system, the quality that that lens produced was actually one of the the moments, defining moments that I had when I, I got a loan of one off a friend and I tried it and I thought, wow, I was I was absolutely amazed because I, I put my hands up. I didn't expect a lot from it when I first tried it. Um, I thought this is, you know, uh, this is no way going to be better than what I was, the 200 to 400 mil F4 that I used to use with my old system. And then when I got it, it was so light, it was compact and I took some shots and I was just blown away by the sharpness. I put the 1.4 converter on, used it as a sort of uh, 560mm F8 lens. And again, you know, in good light, the, the detail that the, the combination produced, especially in uh, birds with feather where you can really, where you really need to see the fine detail, it, it just absolutely blew me away. And I do like primes. Um, I know there's a big thing about you know zooms versus primes and all this kind of thing. And yeah, primes are 
better quality, uh, better image quality, usually sharper. But zooms have come on in the last few years. They've come on so much. It's not like 20, 30 years ago when a zoom lens was automatically thought to be, you know, soft compared to a prime. That's certainly not the case now. And with a lens like the 100 to 400, what it does is offer me versatility. So small birds in the UK and things, I'd probably be default shooting at 400 mil. But when you go somewhere like Africa and you've got so many species of different sizes and at different distances, and you want to do a range of different kinds of photography, I talked before about including context, including habitat and other species. You know, when you've got species walking around, you've got the sort of typical endemic trees of the, the place where you are. You might want to include that to show a relationship with your species. And you, you want to take as many photographs as you can when you're in these places. So having this this sort of zoom and go from 100 to 400 mil to capture the subject in so many different ways and then get some close-ups, even some sort of abstracts of elephants getting really close in on the very sort of high contrast and of the skin and the detail so i really do like that versatility and it's something that's very important to me but i also use the 5140 as well 5140 f2.8 which is absolutely brilliant lens again it's versatile with big species like elephants lions rhino hippopotamus it's absolutely great for that and also for some of the uk species that we can perhaps get a little bit closer to like red squirrels and and seals and things like that um, but I have tried the 200mm f2, uh, which is just an unbelievably good lens. I, I, I used that in Africa uh, quite a bit. I, I also used the, um, the GFX 250mm f4, mm-hmm. which was incredible on the GFX uh, on, the, on the 50s, which was which was brilliant. Um, really kind of enjoyed that. It was a bit challenging compared to the other Fujifilm cameras that I've got. In terms, particularly in terms of frame rate, probably not the first choice, the original medium format for a, a wildlife photographer, but it was interesting to use. It was good. And had I been going to Kenya this year, which sadly it's too late for that now, um, just come off the red list and all that kind of thing, um, I was you know, certainly toying with the idea of taking a, one of the, the new, the 100 uh, GFX 100 cameras out just to try and sort of continue where I left off with exploring the, the, the medium format possibilities within wildlife photography. And yeah, the great lenses, but even these, even with these primes on one camera body, I would still never ever envisage being without the versatility of the hundred to four hundred by my side. Yeah, do you ever use the um, electronic shutter, the totally silent shutter? Does that is there a barrier in terms of the um, uh, you know the the, the response of the um, shutter, or is it good for you? Um, I tend to stick with mechanical shutter. The the electronic shutter is the issues around that are always at the back of my mind, particularly with birds moving wings. Mm. But uh, there was an instance where I was out on the in the savannah one morning and at sunrise, and all of a sudden the sun came up and it just lit up the whole savannah. Everything went so bright, and I had my camera set up um, to when it once it goes past eight thousand for the second to then go from mechanical shutter to electronic shutter and I'd mm-hmm. set it up ages ago and I'd just forgetting all about it and there I was with the 200mm f2 photographing this lioness as she walked towards us and all of a sudden as the sun rose up my shutter speeds went up I shut an aperture shooting aperture priority and I'd gone past 8,000 of a second and I'm pressing the shutter and nothing's actually happening I can't hear the mechanical shutter I thought oh no my camera's gone camera's gone there's, there's something wrong and I was thinking what on earth's happened but it was it, the camera was actually just doing exactly what I 
tooled it to do it. It had gone to an electronic shutter because I'd gone past the 8,000th of the second, but because it had it set to silent, I didn't actually realise it was taking photographs. And I'm start, sitting there in the vehicle pressing the shutter and I can't hear anything, <laughs> not realising actually all the time it's taking loads of photographs and just doing exactly what I told it to do. Uh, so, the, yeah, that's how I basically have my camera set up, but I do try to avoid using the electronic shutter unless I absolutely have to or require absolute silence. And, you know, on the basis of silence, let's be fair, the mechanical shutters in in the cameras that we use are so, so quiet, especially the X-H1 and then the X-T4 yeah. that I've used. They're just they're virtually virtually in, inaudible, really. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I used to, I remember I used to have a um, Canon 1D something or other. Fantastic yeah. camera, um, big, but fantastic. But when, you know, with the, if you put the... Um, <laughs> the rapid fire on there. Yeah, it was. Yeah. I often say it, it was like listening to scaffolding fall down. Yeah, uh, I was. <laughs> I was in a hide in um, in rural Spain, and I was photographing some lesser kestrels. And again, it was an elevated hide, and it was around the the roof of a dilapidated farmhouse. And there was a colony of these lesser kestrels that live, you know, pair off, but live in in, in large colonies. And I was with another another person in the hide, and the hide was set up so you could actually attach your chosen tripod head to the shelf there was a little sort of bowl to come through rather than having to have a monopod or a tripod in these hides and you sort of attach that on and then you put your camera on and there i'm taking a few shots there's some lesser kestrels they're breeding they're hunting they're feeding each other as, as they do and taking a few shots at a time and this, this other person had a, one of these big huge pro canon digital slrs and he unleashed the sort of um, whatever it was, 10, 12 frames per second at the time. But the noise of that big mirror slap of this Canon camera sort of exacerbated by the fact that the camera was joined to the hide physically through this bolt. And it just sounded like boom, 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 boom. And mm. everything on this roof, all these birds just flew away and disappeared. And it was like a sort of cannon like going off and yeah. it took quite a while for them to come back. So there are actual you know, advantages of having a very quiet mechanical shutter or if the subject's not moving fast enough and you're going to get this distortion of, of areas to use the electronic uh, shutter, it, it, it does work. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And of course, you know, most most of the mainstream manufacturers now have, have moved to mirrorless. So, you know, they're, they're all helping yeah. to do their thing. Um, okay, so is there one is there one place on the planet uh, that you, you haven't shot at yet, but you would love to? There's two, actually. Can I have two? Yeah, go on. <laughs> I'll let you off. And the, the, the difficult thing is what I would like, to, what I would love to do, I would love to photograph penguins in um, Antarctica and I would love to photograph polar bears and there are probably no two species that are geographically further apart from each other <laughs> so I've got sort of a bit of a challenge for myself hopefully in the next few years I might be able to to go down there and do something if I can kind of get a get a group going that's that's interested uh, go down to the Falklands or something like that or up to Spitsbergen for the for the polar bears yeah, that sounds amazing. So, on that point, what is what is next? Now the world is opening up a little bit more. Um, what's what's next on your agenda? Um, well, I am. I'm talking at Martin Mia. This is a big event now for me, considering the last couple of years. Um, <laughs> by the time this goes out, it's probably going to be retrospective. Um, it's just doing some talks, and the next big trip that I've got, hopefully, is we're looking for places in March to get back out to the Mara um, to do some wildlife photography, a big cats photo safari. 
Um, we're just advertising that at the moment. And hopefully in August, we've got some good bookings of almost full to get out to uh, to the Mara again. And then hopefully in July, South Africa in between as well. Uh, so it's, it's the next big trips are Africa. I'm hoping that the Farn Islands, which is very close to me, are going to open up again this year um, without the associated problems that, of the last couple of years that that's caused because the Thorn Islands are an amazing bird photographer's paradise, basically. And to be able to just go up there and do two or three days here and there, do some stuff by myself, do some stuff with, with groups, you know, Mm -hmm. it's really, really good. The puffins, uh, they're so characterful to photograph. They're absolutely incredible. And from then, just anything that I that I can, that that I can pick up on the way. And when you do your your groups, when you do your tours, um, are these kind of all in one things? Do you you know do do you, you organise flights and accommodation and all that kind of stuff, or is it meet me meet me at the Masamara with a uh, with your camera? <laughs> it's somewhere in, it's somewhere in between that. Um, we don't we we organ we advise on flights. We can't book flights on people for people because if I book flights, there's some sort of legal complication with regards to who the guarantee sits with. But what we would always do is we would say, right, we're going out on this flight from, mm. uh, well, in my case, usually from Newcastle. And we would sort of say, this is the flight that we recommend you take. We'll meet you in Paris. We'll meet you in Amsterdam or whatever, or we'll meet you in Nairobi um, on the evening or, or, the, or the next morning. And we, we can arrange sort of internal flights in, in from Nairobi to in, into the Mara. And, you know, we sort of, we have all the accommodation already booked um, in, in the Mara for people. We have all the guides, we have all the vehicles, we've all the conservancy fees as well. We even have the, you know, the National Reserve fees if we decide to go into the National Reserve, but I do prefer to stay in the conservancies. So it's, it's kind of somewhere in between. We, 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 we help people as much as we can because it's quite a big thing for people and people mm. are traveling to another country in another part of the world somewhere they've never been before. So they do need a, an element of handholding and that's fine. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, one uh, one final question that I ask everybody: um, If you could spend a day shooting with uh, one other photographer, alive or dead, who might it be? Oh, that is a that is a massive question. There are really a lot of wildlife photographers whose work I admire. Um, there are one that sort of couple maybe that come to mind, but there's a guy in. South Africa, um, who used to be quite a prolific wildlife photographer. I think he's moved on to other things now, but he still does a lot of wildlife photography. And I used to really admire his work before I was able to go to South Africa myself. He was a guy called uh, Morkel Erasmus. And his, I always looked at his work and the way that he brought together elements of the habitat and tried to sort of take photographs with this wider contextual view i found that really really inspiring yeah yeah i suppose it's difficult for it's that that question is easy for say a street photographer to answer but much more difficult for a uh, wildlife photographer i guess um well alan it's been a pleasure chatting to you um thanks so much uh where can where can people what's the easiest way people can can see your work and, and get in touch with you and stuff yeah, I've got my website, um, the imaginatively named alanhewittphotography.co.uk. I've got a few photo walls up there, something that I is probably needing updating that I haven't got round to yet. But there's a few things on there, current projects, events, some of the media things that I've wrote and information about myself, a few blogs, reviews of equipment, all on my website. And of course, I've got my links to you know, Facebook, 
uh, Twitter, Instagram seems to be the, the necessary these days. Sometimes I enjoy the social media and other times uh, not so much, but uh, yeah, there it is. And those links, of course, will be on the show page today. Now, thanks once again to Alan Hewitt. Right, more Mullins is just a mouse click away on Thursdays. He hosts his IncapableStaircase.com country extravaganza. And I can't imagine you didn't know this, but our Kev has more passions in his life than simply the Kidlings, Gemma, Star, The Horse and his collection of X100s. It's country music. And he takes to the airwaves live on Incapable Staircase every Thursday, UK time, 3.30. He can, of course, play catch-up, should you need to, on that website as well. And I, of course, have my extra podcast on Fridays. It's a photo walk show where I take you on a walk in the countryside, funnily enough. Uh, but it's a mailbag show, too, full of inspiration, photo ideas and guests too. And this week, we have two. Sandra Catania Ordono returns to part two of a conversation about finding photography in her 60s and what becoming a published artist has meant for her. Photography made me look around me, made me see people, made me pay attention to interactions, to the eyes of people, to to everything. It, it's a different world that I now have that I didn't, and I would have died without knowing it. Okay, I've talked to Sandra on this show, I know, but I was keen to have a chat with her myself as uh, I'm enthralled by her personal story, and it'll be part two. And then Paul Sanders this week talks about the quiet of photography and why he shoots monochrome. My love of black and white, it, it goes all the way back to me starting in photography, and I like the simplicity of it. And I think in some ways... Colour, for me, when I was going through my real mental health battle, colour was just more noise added to a situation. That's Photography Daily wherever you get your podcasts. And next week we delve into fashion when we talk with uh, British portrait and fashion photographer and the man behind Dazed and Confused, Rankin. Photography Daily is available wherever you get your podcasts, just like this one. Back to your questions. Oh, just before we go back to questions, this probably should have been something we do at the start, you know, when we do our What's Been Happening This Week, Kev, thing. Um, I didn't realise you were doing guitar lessons. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I am absolutely, truly rubbish. I've got the fattest, shortest fingers in the world. Right. It's like throwing a bag of sausages at six strings. <laughs> That's the title of your new album. <laughs> That's right, the sausage strings. <laughs> Sausage hands. Yeah, oh, what made yeah you, no, I'm, I'm trying. What, yeah, made I'm you, trying. what made you pick that up at almost 50? Um, well, it's always <laughs> been something I wanted to do, you know, and, yeah. and I I just never did. And we had a guitar because yeah. Rosa had one yes. and yeah. she didn't kind of uh, stick with it in school, you, should, you know, COVID and all that. So, um, yeah, this opportunity came up and... Um, yeah, so I'm getting I'm getting lessons from the, oh. the lead guitarist of Black King Crow, actually, who's a very cool band. Um in in Cyrusester. And a Merry Old Soul, I hear. What? And a Merry Old Soul, never mind. Merry Old Soul. Yeah, but no, I am truly rubbish. But uh, I am enjoying it. I have to yeah. say, my fingers really hurt. I was at Do judo it. last night, right. and uh, I, they were like, what's going on with your hands? Yeah. They've got all these funny lines on them. I was like, yeah, that's because I'm rubbish at the guitar. <laughs> and so you turn up at the judo the next day, and you're usually then sort of pummeled by a 14-year-old, aren't you, these days? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. But no, it's it's like, you know, you get to this this period in your life and, yeah. you know, the kids like the kids have grown up a bit now so they can, uh, you know, they can stay at home and all that kind of stuff by yeah. themselves. They're happy to do that. And so it, it, it gives gives you an opportunity to think a little bit more about 
uh, stuff in there, you know, and, yeah. and it, you know, yeah, I've always wanted to do it. So I'm doing it Good. badly. No, no, um, yeah, well, badly at the moment, but of course you can only get better. Yeah, um, there, there were two questions um, I think that Joe Jocelyn sent in because the way that my mail system works here, I, it's sort of put him together in, in one thread here. So have we done the one where he said, did you have any bucket list locations or venues you'd love to shoot at? I think so. No. We have talked about that kind of thing before, but I don't think specifically... Oh, no, we haven't, because actually, so I've just expanded the message. Maybe a snowy wedding with igloos, or Kev, maybe a dream paint shop. <laughs> uh, he says, I've certainly got a couple of restaurants and chefs I'd like to work with one day. Uh, yeah, dream dream venues, bucket list locations. I like strange, um, sort of unusual locations. That's probably why well, last week we were talking about the the forts that I'd gone out to in the uh, the Thames Estuary, which reminds me very much of uh, Spitbank Fort, which is um, which is just off the coast of Portsmouth and Southampton there, and the uh, in 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 the waters between that and um, the Isle of Wight, and I that they they have a wedding venue on that. I found that absolutely fabulous, fascinating. I love stuff like that. Venues with a difference, venues with a history. And I don't just, you know, don't mean an old castle. They're historical and interesting, but I've done a few old castles now. So I'm I'm kind of looking at, at different um, places like old forts and things like that. Fabulous. And, of course, Kev, if, if the marriage um, laws are, um, are relaxed even more, as they're suggesting they may be, you mm. might well end up photographing in all kinds. I mean, you could... Oh, off the top of my head, if you wanted to license a submarine for the day, you could. Yeah, I had a couple lined up, COVID-wise, um, which never happened. There was one in the in the off the coast of North Germany in a glass oh, bubble in the I sea. I remember seeing it. Yeah, amazing. Um, that that one uh, yeah. got COVIDed. Um, I also gonna... had a couple of years before COVID. I had yeah. one lined up on top of a mountain in the Austrian Alps. Um, and it was going to be a case of, you know, you, you kind of went up on the on the lift and then everybody was going to ski back down and wow. all that kind of stuff. But that got Kevin. sorted out by the beast from the east. I couldn't get there, believe it or not. Oh, um, and, uh, yeah, I think, yeah, I'm a little bit like you. I like I like those kind of interesting places that are not, not kind of widely used yeah. so much. Um, yeah, I don't know. I never, like from a wedding point of view, I just take whatever comes, obviously, and they're yeah. all, they're all, Every single one is different and, and interesting in its own way. Personally, I would like to, I'd love to go to uh, what's it called Burning Man. Yeah, I'd love to go and photograph at Burning Man Ooh, Festival. Yeah. yeah. Although I know there's there's quite a lot of restrictions there. But yeah, something like that I would like um, from a personal point of view. The Burning Man one, that, that's the one in America, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's that, that massive art, oh, film, yes, music festival. Yes. Everybody trapes out into. Yes. I think it's in the Nevada desert somewhere. That's right. Um, Some of it yeah. looks a bit like. I know it sounds cliche, but a, but but um, the way I'm going to describe it, I'm, and it's not at all. But but sort of a Mad Max um, sort of. It, it does have that appearance feel. because because of all the dust and mm. the um, sand. Everybody does tend to wear those big goggles. Yeah. Um, and when the sand comes in, yeah. I mean, I, I I'm only yeah. I think that's a good a good summation of how it appears. I've never been, obviously, yeah. but I would love to do it. Um, yeah, but maybe one day. I remember a, a location. This was just prior to summer, bef- the summer before COVID. Oh, it sounds like a movie where I d- did start photographing at a few uh, different venues, small jazz clubs and stuff like that for weddings, which I thought was fabulous. And there was one in particular which was, um, well, it, actually, it's usually used for burials and 
um, beautiful sort of in, in the Chiltern Hills. And uh, I remember doing a ceremony there, a wedding ceremony. And the, the lady said to me, and this will mean something more for the UK audience than other um, countries, but uh, she said, have you seen our Terry? I said, Terry? Yeah, Terry Wogan, who was a, a massive broadcaster in this country. You know, the voice that you you consider behind children in need and stuff like that, don't you? And the the, the, the familiar face behind it. And he, he was... Um, and John. Yeah, he, he was uh, had his ashes scattered there. And he could actually go mm. over to his tree, Terry's tree. I went and sat with Terry for a while and had a chat with him. Mm. Oh, that's nice. I would have thought he'd been in Ireland, but there you go. No, I, I thought that as well. But I guess it's to do with family being over here, yeah. perhaps. Um, Joe had another question then, so let's do this while it's in the thread. Do you worry about being out of the job? Uh, the way technology keeps evolving makes it easier and easier for the common folk to take fantastic photos and videos with their phones or, or more affordable cameras. I like to think there'll always be a job for us, but it is a bit of a concern, says Joe. The new iPhone 13 even has rack focusing in the cinematic mode, which seems uh, there must be a 13S, yes, uh, cinematic mode, which seems to work pretty well. Does, mm. that, does that concern you, That's Kev? That's actually a really interesting question, isn't mm. it? It's, it yeah, of course. I think for me personally, you do worry a little bit, um, you know, the, the, the march of technology and uh, not so much the phones and all that kind of stuff. That doesn't worry me at all. But right. and it's not really a worry. It's more of a, a, an opinion, I think. I, I do think the more that the cameras themselves become like machines, uh, you know, a million frames per second and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. It is lending itself to uh, a lot of photographers, and, and again, this isn't a uh, you know a negativity thing. This is just consequences allowing them to do this, um, to to take basically shit loads of pictures all day long and then cherry pick the good ones. And I think that's that's a concern because I, I do believe that actually you know most people can pick up a camera and you know and and, and shoot away. And, and if the camera is, you know, is, is, is getting that many frames per second, then you, you are ultimately going to get some good stuff. Mm. Um, now, you know, on the flip side of that, I also always say to people that, you know, the camera, anybody can be a photographer, but it's, it's your eye, it's the observation skills that you have that makes the difference. And, you know, and to, to that end, I still think that's always going to be the case. It's, you know, give somebody the, the best camera in the world that can shoot at a billion frames per second, will they take the same picture as, as you or I or, you know, anybody else? They won't. It will be different. And so the, the person who is ultimately paying for the service will should be um, you're making a decision based on the types of pictures that that person's eye is making, not on the technology that they're using. And it's, it's not only about what you see, it's about what you know and the, and the game that yeah. you read. Um, Simon Baxter, I was talking to him, the um, uh, the woodland photographer. Um, he knows exactly. I think he described at one stage how woodland and how a forest breathes, where to look for a, for a picture. That's something that, you know, you can shoot as many pictures as you like, but you won't know that. Those that shoot tennis will tell you what they're looking for um, when they're photographing um, a ball crossing court. And it will be it will be after years of experience of knowing how to read the game and what's likely to happen next, isn't it? Well, correct. But is technology not marching on so much that at some point you, they could just put a global shutter camera at one end of the tennis court and then you can just digitally decide where the focus point is and all that kind of stuff? Mm. Uh, you know, there's... These things will happen, probably will happen, you know, and so maybe that then the, the game changes a bit. Not in maybe. our lifetime, Kev. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> All right. Maybe. 
Right, book of the week. Should we go for it? Thank you, Joe, for your questions. Uh, book of the week, Kev. What do we what do we have? We have uh, a little bit of a um, a training book, really, rather than a photo book. Uh, the new uh, the new street photographer's manifesto. Mm. Any camera, anywhere. There we go. Talking of technology, it's Martini um, by Tanya Nagar. Right, um, and this is a small little book. You can slip it in your in your camera bag, you can take it with you. It's uh, exercise and technology and, you know, for example, um, uh, well, I'll read the blurb first. That kind of usually gives us a little bit more of a comprehension of it. Whether you shoot with digital SLRs or Holgers or the camera on your phone, today's camera lets you seize the moment and shoot whenever and wherever you like. So this is perfect compared because of what we just answered. Um, this makes them perfect for street photography, the genre of choice of some of the greatest photographers of all time, with names like Henri Cartier-Bresson, Ouija and Robert Frank turning gritty reality into iconic images. In this book, Tanya Nagar will open your eyes to the photographic potential of your urban world environment, offering the tricks and techniques to put you in the right place at the right time and let you create amazing photos. In addition to everything that you will give that will give you the right skills and headspace to capture great images on the street, Nagar has brought together a stunning showcase of some of the greatest emerging street photographers of our age to inspire you. Um, so there you go. So it is literally um, like an educational book. You, you can you can start at the front. You can dip in. Um, there are uh, loads of beautiful pictures in there. And as the as the blurb says, it's they're not um, uh, Tanya's pictures as such. Um, but there are uh, you know there's there's like a, an introduction history of street photography and where it started and where it's got to now. Um, as I flip through, there's a section on portraits, perspective, and angles. That's always interesting. Um, you know, because that, that sometimes, as we said earlier, this idea of observation is, can be the difference. You know, none of the pictures on the perspective and angles page that I'm looking at now, um, they could all have been taken on a phone. They could all have been taken on a medium format camera. They could all have been taken on, uh, you know, a holder. But what's making them interesting is the choice of angle that the photographer has, has, um, has chosen. And, uh, you know, there's, it, it kind of, to some people, this might seem like base level, basic level, but actually, you know, it's quite interesting to, to get a reminder of this stuff, you know, and it talks to you about, you know, the difference between eye level with the subject and, uh, shooting behind the subject and various things like that. There's technical elements to the book. So if you are, uh, you know, struggling with things like apertures and understanding how the, the light gets into the lens, uh, you have all of that, that kind of stuff in there as well. Um, good section on depth of field with some really good um, examples as well, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, when to use shallow depth of field, what it does, how it affects the um, other elements of the exposure triangle when you're using aperture, um, you know, and it, there's the pictures I would say are, uh, are good, um, but they're, they're, they're not the primary focus of the book as such. You know, there's a whole section here on shooting from the hip, um, but there's only a couple of images that, that kind of show that exp exposing how shooting from the hip can help you. However, there's uh, lots of tips and, you know, lots of uh, uh, stuff telling you how to use zone focusing properly to, to shoot from the hip properly. It really is a good kind of overall book. Um, there's a section on cultural sensitivities, which is super important. Uh, you know, what you should, what you shouldn't take. There is a uh, section on street photography and the law, uh, which will be UK-based law, but but still probably relevant to most places. 
you know, color, black and white, the choices to make, um, accessories to use. There's a, there's a section here on using a mirrorless camera, a mirrorless camera with a SLR mount. So using some of the old, the legacy um, SLR lenses, wow. big lenses. Yep. Then it goes on to do some editing, dodging and burning, when to do dodging and burning, how to use it to bring some clarity into your images. Uh, yeah, it's a really, really nice little book. It's um, it's something that you might, you know, you, you kind of flip through. I would say that if you're a, uh, you know, established street photographer, you probably, you'd, you'd be interested in it for sure, but it's not so much about the photos. It's about the the tips and techniques. Yeah. Um, and then at the end, all of the black pages. So there's a, there's a section that's all black labeled pages are the showcases of um, some of the photographers and they explain um, some of the images that are in the books and how they how they made the the pictures and why they made the pictures. Wow. And interestingly, all of those images have all of the exposure data as well, the EXIF data. Um, so I'm looking at a uh, showcase of Brian Quinton Webb right now, who's shot all of the stuff on his page on a Olympus EP2. Um, yeah, nice, nice. It's a nice, yeah. it is a really nice book, flip through book. Uh, you can throw it in your camera bag and, you know, if you're stopping for a coffee and you want a, a little bit of inspiration, a few ideas of, uh, what can I do now? Oh, look, there's a section on, uh, you know, black and white, or there's a section on angles and perspective or whatever. Wow, yeah, this, this, is, this is the book you probably wish you had when you started shooting street, Kev. Yeah, I suppose, yeah. to a certain extent, yeah. yeah. But um, there's a well-thumbed book of mine. This, yes. so. was, was there a book when you started to shoot street that uh, you referred to? Uh, it might have actually been a particular photographer. I don't know. Mm, not that I can remember specifically. Yeah, I've got a lot of uh, a lot of photo books, but yeah, I mean, I, I I will I will often like the night before I go out, I'll kind of dip around some of the books and 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 look for things that will try and sharpen my eye the next day. But I don't I don't particularly remember anything specific that was wow. was like yeah, that's what turned me on to street photography. So the book is called the book is called the New Street Photographer's Manifesto. Any camera. Mm. anywhere tanya nagar and we'll of course put links to that in the show notes today talking of the show notes oh jeff um a, a mail from oh is this just just a kevin kevin it's not even hi kev that's very sort of um do you know law, when lawyers and corporate people write to you they they never write hi do they don't waste time don't waste time putting the letter the the words hi down or dear or whatever just put kevin mm-hmm I always think it sounds a bit angry, don't you? Yeah, whenever Gemma refers to me as Kevin, I know I'm in trouble. <laughs> I'm sure Jeff didn't mean it like that. But he did say, um, he was talking about the show notes. I looked around the show notes and F16, but did not see the model of printer that you use for your personal prints. Can you share that, please, from Jeff? I don't have a printer. Mine, mine go off to Digital Lab. Oh. Up in, up in Newcastle. Well, yeah, so I don't have a printer. This only came I don't in even the... have an office printer. Do you not? I'm, I'm trying to go paperless, so I don't even have anything to print letters out on no ah oh right we must have talked about a print i mean this only came in the other day this question was no, it was it one that you take I, to... I used to have one of those canon pixma 12 ink um things which was very very good yeah um but the inks if you didn't use it the inks dried up and then mm. they'd make you spend another 300 quid on inks so i, I got rid of that but yeah i mean i don't oh. have a printer okay so that that's sorry, sorry that's to, a... to burst a bubble on that question mm, well, <laughs> well what about you have you got a printer no <laughs> send it all <laughs> off i send it to you kev no wonder it never comes back <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly. i thought that was a bit strange i thought kev's printing process is quite long here no it's a long long time since i had a printer i know the same problem here kev 
if you didn't use it for ages, it all gunked up on me or, or started mm. banding and all sorts of stuff. And in the end, I thought, I can't be doing with this. No, uh, yeah, I think it's if you're, you know, if you're a fine art photographer and you're printing your own stuff, then you want to be looking at either the Canon or the Epsons. Yeah. Um, but you're going to be using it every, every day, affordable though, ones. Yeah. Um, but, and they are very, very good. Yeah. I know, I think I saw on the Facebook group that Kant Rathood, who's, you know, who produces his own photo books, yes. has just bought a. I think it was a Canon one, one of the Canon Pixma ones, and he's he's like incredibly impressed with the black and white. And that's actually when I had that Canon Pixma, the yeah. black and whites that were coming out of it were just beautiful, mm. absolutely beautiful. So no, I don't have a uh, personal printer. Not tempted right to now. go back to printing. No, um, no. I mean, I I I think when the studio stuff, if the studio stuff ever picks up, then um, or I push that then that's uh, slightly different. And I will probably be using one of the uh, large printers from Fujifilm at that point, um, yeah. if that happens, just to, to kind of print here. But, you know, I just don't print stuff, really. Yeah. If, I, if I'm if i printing, normally the stuff that I'm doing is for the family, for personal stuff, is is, out, is books at the end of the year, and they will go off to Jorgensen. Okay, question from Facebook. Uh, Martin Gerlach says, what was your key moment in photography? Did you have a moment, a picture where it clicked and you felt confident in what you do? Hmm. I mean, I, we talked about this probably two, three weeks ago, that that image of, of um, the wedding image of, of mine that I took, where I thought, yeah, do you know what? I, I can do this. Felt like a visitor for such a long time in the business. And then um, that, that, that picture I made of, uh, of the lady with the, uh, the bride cupping her hand around her mum's face. That. You must have had pictures before you were a wedding photographer that made you oh. think, I can do this. Otherwise, you would never become a wedding photographer, surely. Oh, I don't know whether I did, actually, Kev. I just thought, um, I didn't have a signature moment where I thought, oh, that's it, I'm a, I'm a photographer. I enjoyed making pictures, but I don't, think, I, I don't think I made a signature image until I was well engrossed in being a photographer. What do you what 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 do you what what do you mean by signature image? What do you mean by that? Well, something which you hang your hat on and you say, "I think that's me. I think I can see my emotion in it. I think I right. can. I think I understand. Um, you know what was going on. Why I made the picture. I you know it was all purposeful. It wasn't just a happy accident. It was something I saw. I got, and you know something you you feel very proud of it could be a sporting picture it could be in my case it was a wedding picture that kind of thing but yeah. i think it takes i think it takes a while i mean you can learn to fly but you're not really unconsciously competent until you've been doing it for a while yeah fair point um yeah i don't i don't think i mean i i remember i was sharing pictures of my very young family on social media way before i became a uh like well, not way before, but around the same time as like I've got my first set of cameras. They're the ones that really made me think, well, I, you know, kind of understand how to do this. Not necessarily yeah. that they were any good, but uh, I thought, yeah, okay, I, I can, I can make something. But yeah, no, I don't think there is a, a kind of moment, a definitive moment. I suppose on the college course, there was a moment where I brought alive something in the, and it wasn't the very first print, so it wasn't anything like that not that sort of cliche cliched story of seeing the first thing and thinking oh my life has changed it was uh, again after a little while in the dark room pulling some prints out from from uh, the developer and looking looking at it thinking ooh i mean i remember that as being, that was probably quite pivotal as well there was a there was a oh what what's that place oh it's down in cornwall with the big huge bubbles kev 
um, with the eco th- uh, place. What's it called? Uh, yeah, the uh, I want to say the Amazon project, but it's not. It's the um, <laughs> oh, it's like that. Oh, Eden okay. Eden project. Eden project. I made some pictures in the Eden project. Ah, now those. Yeah, but I suppose there was a moment there where I, I thought, oh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Pivotal moments, Kev. Pivotal moments. I don't know. I, 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 hopefully, my pivotal moments are still ahead of me. Oh, that's a, that's the best answer. Let's just edit everything else out and just keep that <laughs> bit in. That was great. Michael Marin, Kev, Neil. Uh, like Neil, I love going for walks with my camera, shooting whatever seems interesting. I believe it was Dorothea Lang who said, a camera is a tool for learning to see without a camera. That's quite deep, isn't it? I a like camera that. is a tool for learning to see without a camera. Hmm. And being focused only on one's surroundings, forgetting everything else. It's a kind of mindfulness that brings peace of mind. But mm. what about the experience for professional photographers? Does taking photographs on your off time have the same meditation and mindfulness-like effect? Or do you just want to put that camera down for a while? Thanks for your thoughts on this. Mike Marin, uh, an X100F user in Ontario, Canada. Yeah, so I always feel like if you... If you don't pick up your camera, you know, I've been guilty of it myself, but if you're not picking your cameras up between jobs enough, then you need to do something to make that happen again. Yeah. Um, but well, this does come yeah. down again to the, the the types of camera that you enjoy using, as yeah. we said earlier. Yeah, you want to you wanna keep that passion alive because it's not just like a normal job. It's not, you know, it's not like being an accountant. You know, you're an accountant doesn't, um, you know, they account nine till five, but they don't go home and then practice their calculators. You don't think so? Do, like do, that, you know? do they not do calculator practice of an evening? <laughs> <laughs> I've got an um, old vintage Casio here. I love this one. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it was probably a bad analogy, but you, you, you know <laughs> I mean, what I mean. Good it's, that's good it, analogy, it, it yeah. is a job that you need to yeah. you keep creative about. It. Keep you know, keep your mind in focus. You need to keep seeing things. And and as I as I always say, it's it, it's not about using the camera. It's about your observation skills, yes. and that can that can fade just as much as as the techno technological abilities, I suppose. So. Well, yeah, cre- creativity the- creativity is a is a muscle, isn't it? You know, you 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 train your muscle. Yeah, yeah, it's muscle memory, I suppose, muscle. to a certain extent, and and you you can get lazy with it as well. So just keep it keep it going. But uh, as for mindfulness and and you know that meditation effect, I still think it counts for professionals. I have to say, when I take the camera out when I do my photo walks, honestly, yes, I, I find a complete complete zen like moment. Well, <laughs> maybe I'm not quite zen like, but I but I certainly feel very very um, you know all the worries go. They do, they do. Because it's a mm. different kind of photography to the photography I'm usually doing. Uh, a phrase I've been using a little bit of late on those photo, photo walks is uh, is sketchbooking with your camera. And that's what it feels like. And, and you do forget that you've got to speak to the accountant who doesn't work yeah. after six o'clock, um, as we've now identified. Mm-hmm. Do you think that uh, maybe they do, Kev? Maybe, maybe when, they, when they get home after they've done their accountancy for the day and somebody says, do you want three spuds or two? Oh, I'm sorry, I can't do numbers after six o'clock. Surprise, surprise me. <laughs> Just give me the round ones. <laughs> yeah, that's it, yeah. Ah, but very interesting question, though. Do you, do, you find, do you find mindfulness when you're, when you're photographing away from your professional stuff, Kev? Because you do do it, obviously. I mean, you go with the, the blokes you go to Cheltenham, don't you? You do the, the, the dad's thing out to Cheltenham. I don't I I wouldn't use quite... the word mindfulness. I mean, I just, yeah, I enjoy it. You know, I, I don't, I, 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 I don't think, and I, I guess I'm lucky in this regards that I don't think I've ever thought I need to go out and, you know, from a kind of 
mindfulness point of view and go and you know sit by a lake and photograph some stuff or whatever or go for a walk in a forest or anything and that's probably a good thing so no that never really crosses my mind Mm. um it's about enjoyment it is as always and the enjoyment is over for another week thank you very much for your company um thank you to our friends who are supporting us on patreon uh, which, for the price of, of a cup of coffee, keeps the show growing. And Kev loves it when I say this. And most importantly, going. If you're one of our pa- <laughs> if you're one of our patrons, of course, um, you can always write to us and uh, and get your questions bumped to the front too. And that's uh, that's one of the advantages, or as Kev says, the advantage of be- of being in our Patreon. Plus, at you, the moment, at the, at the moment, discounts, though, Kev. Isn't that what it's all about? Yeah, yeah. Discounts. Discounts. Um, Thank you for your questions. Do keep sending them in. Send via the Facebook group, which you can do. Um, There's a pin post at the top, and you can join in with that. Or, of course, send them to the email address, which is clickatfujicast.co.uk. And uh, we will see you next week. Bye, Kev. Bye-bye. The Fujicast is an independent Loading Zone production. Email the show with your questions and words of wisdom to click at fujicast.co.uk. Email any complaints and political nonsense to our wives who will deal with your comments in their own good time and in their own good way.